pray, Father, that you would fellowship amongst us, Lord, that you would fill each one of us with your spirit, that you would quicken us, Lord, and, and cause us to, to be alive in the spirit, and, uh, and that we would experience your presence, Lord, that we would hear your word. Father, we pray that you would just take up our lives in your hand. Each one of us has circumstances and, and a path that we've, we're on, a place that we are in you, Lord. And, and your, your word tells us that you know us uh, perfectly. You know everything about us, Lord. You know our way and you know our thoughts. And, and so we just put our whole lives before you, Lord. And we pray that you would continue that work that you're doing. We lift up our families, Lord, that you would help us as men to be the spiritual leaders in our home. That you would empower us, Lord, to love our wives like Christ loved the church and to, to teach our children and to be an example of the believer in, in that atmosphere, Lord. We pray that you would uh, help us in our jobs, in our business, Lord, that you would help us to be godly examples to those that are around us, Lord, that you would help us to, uh, to, to, to work as unto you and to serve the Lord Christ. We pray, Father, that you would continue to provide and, and help us, Lord. We, we lift up those of us amongst us, Lord, that uh, need work, that, that are, are waiting upon you, Lord. We pray that you would just provide and that you'd show your hands strong. We pray for our children, Lord, that you would cause them to, uh, to, to flourish in the things of God, that their hearts would, would come to life, Lord, and that the word that they've heard would not just be a concept or uh, that, that God would not be something in their mind that's been created by man, but that they would recognize that men have been created by God. We pray that they would, would be saved, Lord. We pray for those that are, that are older, that are straying. We pray for those that are younger, that are just being formed. Lord, we just ask that they would be saved, Lord, that you would reach them. We pray for our nation and, and, and your plan right now in, in the big stage, Lord, of prophecy and end times. We ask that you'd give us wisdom, that you would help us to be men of the Spirit that are watching and ready, that you would help us to have perspective, Lord, that we wouldn't get consumed and, and uh, dragged down in politics and in the affairs of this life, but that you would help us to, to keep our perspective upward. Father, we, we need you more today than ever before. We need your, your inspiration. We need your empowering, Lord. And, and so we just pray, Father, that you would uh, help us, Lord, give us more of you. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts this morning. Let your word uh, hit us, Lord. Let it, let it get under the surface. Give us ears to hear what you would say. We pray that you would challenge us, that you would uh, inspire us, and that you would um, empower us, Lord. We thank you so much for, for what you're doing here, and we just pray that you would um, continue to, to speak to us. So bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, you, you guys know Alex Tarter. He, um, he hasn't been here too much recently. He's a young man. Uh, he's in his early 20s. You know, he, he called me this morning and just asked if I would throw it out there that you all would pray for him. Um, he, he's on a project down in Peekskill, and he's been working 100,000 hours a week, and um, really, like seven days a week, and uh, just he's just said pray for him. Pray that God would just get him through this time, and so if you could remember Alex in your prayers, and I know that the Lord overhears even as I say it to you, and so we lift him up and uh, ask God to, to help him. And uh, you can open in your Bibles to John chapter 14 and Acts chapter 1. <clears throat>
we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And last week we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. And not, not from the conventional sense of, you know, the list that's given in Galatians 5.22, but, but rather the, the fruit of what happens in the life of a man who puts his faith in Jesus Christ and has the Holy Spirit living inside of him. And so we talked about how the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is first of all that he brings us back into a relationship with God. That apart from the Spirit, you cannot know God. You have no life in you. Also that the Holy Spirit gives us understanding of the Word. That we have the mind of Christ because we have the Spirit of Christ. And without the Spirit of Christ, you cannot understand the Word of God. And so the fruit of the Spirit is understanding of the Word of God. Also, a supernatural satisfaction. Jesus said, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. And out of his belly will gush torrents of living water. This spake he of the Holy Spirit, which was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so the Spirit of God gives to us that supernatural satisfaction, the living water that brings us life. It can only come from God. He's the only one that can satisfy a soul. And then also, the Spirit of God gives us power over sin and power to obey, Romans chapter 8, uh, and, and helps us in our prayer life. And so the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the work that God does in our lives. But that's only half or a part of what the Holy Spirit does. There is work in our lives, but there is also work that happens through our lives. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. Not the fruit and the work that he does in us, but now what he desires to do through us, the empowering. And so I've asked you to turn to John chapter 14. And what we discover as we study the Holy Spirit is that there are three relationships that a man can have with God the Holy Spirit. Read with me from verse 16. So John 14, verse 16. <clears throat> Jesus says this. He says, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him. So he sets a contrast, first of all, is that the Holy Spirit is not going to be understood, perceived, known, experienced by everyone, not the world, but by those that are the disciples of Christ. And then he says this at the end of the verse. He says, for he, that is the Spirit, he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And right there he gives to us the first two relationships or, you know, uh, forms of relationship that a man can have with the Holy Spirit of God. The first one, he says that, that to them, right now, he says, the Spirit dwelleth with you. And the word that's used there in the Greek language is the word para, P-A-R-A. It's the prefix for which we get the words parallel, you know, uh, or, or whatever, you know, and it means alongside of, para, or with, how it's translated right there. And he says that right now, even as we speak, the Spirit is with you, alongside of you, para, that experience. Now, I believe, and the Bible teaches, that every man, every woman, every child 
has this relationship with the Holy Spirit, that he comes alongside everybody. And his purpose in coming alongside of a person is to do two things. Number one is to convict them of sin for the purpose of converting them to Christ. And so the Spirit comes alongside with that intent to convince a person that they need to be born again. And that happens to everyone. We're on Sunday mornings studying through Romans, and we're learning about the various ways that the Holy Spirit convicts a person to bring them to the point where they will be converted to Jesus Christ. And so the Spirit comes alongside. That was something that the the apostles, at this point in their walk with Christ, while Jesus was with them, they already had that. The para, the alongside, the with. But then Jesus says, he goes on at the end of verse 17 there, and he says, and he shall be in you. And he speaks of it as something that is not currently true, but it's something that will be yet future. He is with you, but he shall be in you. The word in there in the Greek is the word en. It's en in the Greek, and what it means is in. En means in, that he will be inside. And it's what Jesus was alluding to in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, when he said, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man will come in, I will, you know, or if any man will let me and open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. And it speaks of the intimacy of the Spirit of God moving from that place of being alongside a person to now moving into them, that the Spirit of God now moves inside. It's what we would call the born-again experience. Now, when did this happen for the disciples? Because Jesus, as he speaks to them here, is saying he shall be, which means it hasn't happened yet. So when did that happen for the believers? Keep a finger here, or actually, we're not coming back. So you can just flip over to John chapter 20, just a few pages to the right. This is now after Jesus has been crucified and resurrected. This is the 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension of Christ that that we find ourselves in here in John chapter 20. In that season where Jesus is appearing to his disciples on various occasions. And this is one of those occasions here. John chapter 20 verse 19. It says that the same day at evening being the first day of the week when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and showed unto them uh, or and his side, and, w- and then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. He breathes on them. The Holy Ghost moves inside of them. And it's at this point that they experience 
the regeneration or the rebirth. They're saved, they're sealed. The Spirit of God now moves inside the price for sin being paid, the transaction being accepted, proved by the resurrection, and now the Spirit is given to them for salvation. He moves inside and they begin uh, this thing. And, And at this point, all of the things that we spoke about last week The relationship that they can now have with God. Not external, but internal. The spirit of man relinked to the spirit of God in heaven. The relationship, the word of God making sense. The satisfaction of God. What did Jesus say? He said, peace be to you. And and, and they're filled with peace. You know, that, that satisfaction of the living water from within. And the work of the spirit began in their life as Jesus sent the Spirit into them. He is with you. He shall be in you. And at this point, he moves in. But the story doesn't stop there. Because after this point where Jesus says, receive ye the Spirit, he says something else to them. And it's the third relationship that a believer experiences with the Holy Spirit. Turn to Acts chapter 1. Just a few pages again to the right. One or two pages, depending on how your Bible is laid out. And in Acts chapter 1, one of the last things that Jesus said to his disciples before ascending, before launching off into heaven, into glory. It says here, Acts chapter 1, verse 3. He says, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from now. Now notice that. Because he's already breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. So they already have the Spirit living inside of them. But he's speaking about something that would be yet future, something separate from what he's already done in breathing the Spirit into them. Verse 6, he says, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. But now here it is, verse 8. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. You see that word there, upon? It's the third Prefix, the third word that's used to highlight or instruct us concerning our relationship with the Holy Spirit. The word in the Greek is the word epi, E-P-I. And it means upon or over. And he says that you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. Power for what? He tells us there, he goes on. He says, and you shall be witnesses unto me. Now pause right there for a minute because you could very easily misread or misinterpret what Jesus just said. 
He just said, you shall be witnesses unto me. He does not say, you shall go witnessing for me. And that's important. He doesn't say, I'm giving you power so that you'll know how to talk about me. That's not what he said. He said, I'm giving you power so that you can be witnesses unto me. And there's a big difference between being a witness and doing witnessing. He's not talking about doing witnessing. He's talking about being a witness. What does it mean to be a witness? And what it means is that your entire life and your entire existence is a living witness to not only the existence of God, but also the character and nature of Christ. You're a witness of me, of Jesus, which means that your entire life, every moment, not just the moment when you're speaking about Christ or the moment when you're exercising your gift, but every moment of your life, wherever you are, you are a living testimony to the existence of God and to the nature of Jesus, who, who God is. Not just that he is, but who he is. And you become the witness of that. And that's a very different animal than just going witnessing or sharing the gospel with someone or exercising your gift. You're a witness of Christ. You're a living example of his person, of who he is. He says, you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, speaks of the home. Judea speaks of the neighborhood. Samaria, it speaks of the surrounding areas. And then to the uttermost parts of the world, that is, wherever you are, in whatever circumstance you find yourself in, to be witnesses of me. Now, we understand, we discover that what Jesus is talking about here, this epi, this upon, this empowering of the Spirit, it's different than when we receive the Spirit at salvation. Keep a finger here and just quickly turn to Acts chapter 8. <clears throat> In Acts chapter 8, we have the, the story of Philip, who was an evangelist. And Philip had gone to um, Samaria to preach the gospel, and the Lord poured out his spirit upon Samaria, and people in Samaria were coming to Christ. They were getting saved. And word of the revival got back to Jerusalem, and the apostles, Peter and the boys, came from Jerusalem to Samaria to see the work that God was doing there in saving the people in Samaria. And it says um, in, in verse uh, 12, it says in 8 verse 12, it says, But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So these people believe the gospel, they're baptized, these people are saved. If you believe and are baptized, you're saved. And it says, then Simon himself believed also. That's parenthetic. Uh, you know, but, but he says, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and the signs which were done. Now, verse 14. Now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Speaking of the empowering, the upon. 
For as yet, verse 16, he was fallen upon, epi, none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And so we see that it's separate. There's a separate thing that happened here. They believed and were baptized in verse 12, but here they're empowered. The Spirit comes upon them, and a new dynamic for their Christian experience begins. They're empowered to be examples of Christ outwardly. The same thing happens in Acts chapter 19, and you can read it there when Paul comes to Ephesus. We won't take the time to go through those verses now, but Paul gets to Ephesus, he finds disciples there, and and, and something inside tells him these people are lacking something. And so he asks them, and he says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, we don't know what you're talking about. And so Paul prays for them, and it says that the Spirit comes upon them as well there in Ephesus. And so we see this pattern throughout the book of Acts, and we see this in the Scripture. Well, you say, okay, we're given power. We're promised power of the Spirit. What is the purpose of this power? Why is he giving it to us? He tells us that it's to be a witness of him. Now, why is this necessary? What is this talking about, and why is it necessary? Prior to Hurricane Sandy, I knew very little about electricity. I I still know very little about electricity. For some reason, that concept doesn't work in my mind too good. I don't really understand it too much. But I learned a few things, because I picked up a generator, as many people did, prior to the storm. Uh, and, And here's why. Because... I don't mind not having lights. You know, I have a wood stove, so I'm not worried about heat so much. But I hate when the well doesn't work. <laughs> I, I like water. <laughs> water is, is an essential thing when you have six people living in a house. You know, you got to have water, you know. So I buckled and I went and I bought a generator. And I learned a few things about uh, electricity and about generators. Generator size is measured in watts. That is the number of watts. And there, I know there are a number of electricians here. If I get some of this wrong, please don't laugh at me, you know, <laughs> you know or whatever. But, but, but generator size is measured in watts. That is how, how many watts it can put out. Now, all of the appliances in your house run on or, or, or require a certain number of watts in order for them to work properly. You know, uh, you know a well pump could re- require 1,500. A hot water tank is around 4,000 watts that it requires. You know, a, a standalone freezer can take up to 1,000 watts. A coffee pot takes 1,500 watts. It's a big one, but it's you know, it's an essential. You gotta have, you gotta have that. You know, and, and so, so here's here's what I learned, is that when you're purchasing a generator, what you do is that you find out how many watts each of the things you want to keep running require, and then you add them up, and you come up with a sum total. You know, maybe eight thousand watts to run all the things I want to run, and that's the size generator you need during a storm if you want to keep those things going. Now, that's very basic. You know, there's there's other factors and things to include in that. You know, not not essential for our our you know our uh, uh, our study right here. But but there are some things in the house that require a lot of wattage. If you want to run your stove, that's a lot. You know, 
If you want to run your hot water tank, that's a big one. You know, if you want to run, you know, some of your major appliances, your dryer, you that's a lot. There's other things that require little watts, lights, very little wattage to run lights, small appliances, small things in your house. You know, those things don't require much wattage. It's it's very little, but but there are things that require a lot of power and there are things that require just a little bit of power and so depending on what you need that's the size of the generator that generates the power that you need now follow me here electricity by itself power if you would by itself is absolutely worthless if I could hold in front of you a bowl of power it would be useless it could do absolutely nothing in the same way, a generator by itself is a worthless piece of equipment. It is the most worthless piece of equipment that exists by itself. Because it serves absolutely no purpose whatsoever to just have a generator. It is a use of gasoline. That's what it does. If you need to get rid of gas, put it in the generator and use it up. That's it. The power or the purpose of the generator or the thing that makes it valuable is the thing that it's going to do not what it is in itself but what it's going to empower what it's going to allow having that source of power same is true with the power of the holy ghost the purpose and the power of the holy spirit that god gives is not just so that we can say i've got the power i've got the power because you know what that is it's a noisy generator all it is 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 just something that's making noise it's it's not doing anything it's it's profitless it's it's purposeless and so the power that Jesus is talking about, the power of the Spirit, is in order for us to do something. We'll do what? Well, let me, let me explain. It takes a certain number of watts. It, it takes a measure of God's power to love my wife like Christ loved the church. It takes a lot of watts. That's a hot water tank. It, it takes a certain number of watts. If I want to... <laughs> It's a stove, he said. It takes a, a certain number of watts if I want to love my children and invest in them and put the time and attention into them that's required in order for me to train them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That takes a lot of power. That's a, that's a big one. That's a major appliance, you know, if you want to uh, do that the right way. To demonstrate the nature of Jesus in my everyday life, that takes a lot of power. To be able to go to my workplace in a, in a place that is oppressive and heavy and to demonstrate the love of Christ and to do my job as unto Jesus and to not complain, that takes a lot of power. There's some wattage that's involved in, in, in doing that and, and in being that, not just once in a while, but living that way and, and having that constant source. There's a certain amount of power required. There's wattage in my life that's needed in order for me to say no to sin. That when that time comes that the temptation is up against me and, and, and I'm faced with a decision of whether or not I'm going to succumb and give in to it or whether I'm going to resist and, 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 and obey Christ, that requires power. I need power from the Holy Spirit to do that. There's wattage that's needed from God to sacrifice to give of my finances or to give of my time or my resources or my energy or my thought 
in the name of Christ to sacrifice as we're called to sacrifice. That requires wattage. That, that requires power. It takes something to do that. Now, all of those are, are, are big appliances. They take a lot. There are other things that we're called to do that require power, but they, they use a lot less. They're more the fluorescent light bulbs in the Christian life. Those things like exercising our spiritual gifts. Sometimes we think, oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm serving Christ because I'm exercising. It's easy to exercise your gift. It's a gift. God's given it to you. That, that's why we like doing it. It's like, you, you know, no one ever likes doing the things that they're not good at. We like doing the things we are good at, you know, because that's our gift. It takes very little spiritual power to exercise our gift. Prayer, yes, it takes energy. There's, that's like the coffee pot. It, you know, it seems like it wouldn't take that much. Sometimes it takes a little bit more. But, but to pray, to take time and connect with heaven, to do something as unnatural as prayer is, takes power. I think that the least, the th you know the little LED light bulb you leave on in the hallway 24-7 to just let the kids know where the bathroom is? You know what that is? That's tongues. People go, oh, he speaks in tongues. He's filled with the Holy Ghost. That, that takes about that, that much. Can you see that little gap in there? You know, there's things that take very little power of the Holy Spirit uh, in our life, you know, the things that we do. But here, here is what we are called to do as Christians, individually, you, me is to take the things that we are called to do and then add them up. I need to love my wife like Christ loved the church. I need to train up my children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. I need to be disciplined and diligent in the things that God's called me to do. I need to work as unto Christ without complaining. I need to, and you go through and you list all of those things and then you add it up and you say, Lord, this is the wattage I require. This is what I need to run the things that you have called me to run, including our gifts and our ministry and our sacrifice and our family. You add it all in, and you say, this is what I need. And this is what Jesus is saying, is that you will receive power after that the Holy Ghost comes upon you, that you would be witnesses unto me. That is, to fully express my existence and my nature to your family, Jerusalem, to your neighbors and co-workers, Judea, to your community, Samaria, those outside, and to the uttermost parts of the world. But it requires power. You're not going to be able to do it on your own. That's what you need. Now, it happens not infrequently that I'll talk to some brothers or some Christians or some people or maybe even myself. And it'll come up, you know what, I just feel so dry. I feel like the, the power is turned off. There's an outage. There's been a storm. And service has been interrupted. And I, I'm just not experiencing the power of God. I'm not experiencing his spirit. I'm not finding what, what I need. You, you know, my, my Christian life is dry. And I don't have what I see in the book of Acts or what I see in you know, brother so-and-so who's just so filled and so on fire and so alive. What's the problem with me? Why is it that I'm not experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit in the way that, that I'm supposed to? Well, let me tell you, first of all, what the problem is not. The problem is not on the supply side. Central Holy Spirit is open. <laughs> there is never an interruption in service 
on God's side of the equation. There is always plenty over and above what is needed for every individual to do all that God has called them to do. It's never lacking on God's side. So that means that the problem is on our side. Well, what's the problem then? The problem sometimes, first of all, very simply, is that the breaker is just turned off. You, you know how it is on your electrical panel, the fuse box, you know? If, if the breaker, that switch that sends the power from the source to the appliance, if that switch is turned off, you can try flipping on a light switch or an on button until the cows come home, but nothing's going to happen because the power is shut off. And oftentimes I find that that's true in the individual Christian life. Well, I can't, I can't love my wife like Christ loved the church. Well, do you try? Do you even turn the switch on? Or do you go in there with the, well, this is impossible. It can't be done. I mean, yeah, it can't be done. Because you don't possess the ability in and of yourself to run a refrigerator or a stove. <laughs> you know? We don't have it. But, but you need to obey and you need to turn the breaker on and allow God to flow through and give him place to give you the power to do that. And so if the breaker, listen, Here's a law of electricity, and again, I'm not an electrician, but I do know this. Electricity will not flow into something it cannot flow out of. If you put on big rubber boots and grab a nice long screwdriver and shove it into a plug, you will not get shocked. Am I right? Okay, I'm, I'm right, so, but don't, you don't have to try it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> don't try this at home you know <laughs> but but the point is that electricity will not flow into something it can't flow out of it's fitting that god designed it that way isn't it because the same thing is true with the power of the holy spirit god does not flow into something that he cannot flow out of and so if we stand in refusal to do the things that he's called us to do then the power won't come in for us to put out and so the breaker has to be on have to be willing to do those things and so sometimes that's the very problem that we have the other problem another problem that we have sometimes is that there's too much resistance electricity will always seek the path of least resistance another thing that I learned while hooking up my generator to my electrical panel <laughs> is that you have to have the right thickness of wire to carry that amount of current from the source to the place that it is going. If you were to try to put, you know, 30 amps, 5,500 watts through the size of wire that powers a lamp or a, a regular plug, you would have a big problem. <laughs> because there's too much resistance. In other words, the, the, the copper that in, is inside that is too thin. There's not enough there for that amount of current to carry through. And so there's too much resistance to get it to, you know, to get the power to where it needs to go. And, and so, you know, here's you and you want to, you want to die to yourself. You're asking God to give you power to die to self, to crucify the flesh. That takes a lot of power. But the problem is that there's resistance. There's resistance in your life. You're resisting God, the Holy Spirit. You're not, you're not giving him the place in your life to do it. There's big rubber chunks in the wire, you know, that don't allow the power to flow through. And so sometimes we resist God. 
And we say no to God when he's calling us to do things. We're disobedient to his word, and therefore we don't have the power that we need. We're trying to run a stove on the wrong size wire. And so there has to be a yieldedness in our lives to God the Spirit in order for us to experience that. Sometimes there's too much resistance. The third thing that can happen sometimes in the Christian life, and it's a result of that, is burnout. You ever heard that phrase, burnout? You know, often it's a pastor gives up the church or leaves the ministry or someone just quits their place of service. They say, I'm burned out. Do you know what burnout is? Burnout is when a motor requires a certain amount of current and it can't get quite enough. In other words, a well pump that requires 2,000 watts, but the generator is only giving it 1,000. It's still trying to run. It's trying to run but it doesn't have enough power and the motor burns out. That's what happens. And the same thing happens all too often in the Christian life. Is that a person, they're trying to do the things of God, they want to do the will of God, but there's not power coming in. They're trying to do it in the flesh, in the energy of their own strength. And you can't serve God in your own strength. It's, It's impossible. It doesn't work that way. And so the problem is never with God. The problem is always with us. It's on this side of the breaker box, you know, in here. It's in my heart. That's where the problem is. And so what do we need as we consider this concept and we see what Jesus is saying and understand and recognize what the Scripture's exhorting? First of all, we need to have this experience. We need the upon empowering of the Holy Spirit to be active and at work within our lives. Look in in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. The Spirit comes. The day of Pentecost. Peter preaches a sermon. 3,000 people are about to get saved. It says in verse 37 of chapter 2, it says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Who does that include? All that are the Lord our God shall call. That's us. Meaning that the promise of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit for us to live the Christian life, to be witnesses of Christ, the power, the promise of it is given to us. Well, how do we receive it? Do we need to have Peter and John come and lay hands on us and have a tarrying meeting while we wait for the Spirit to come upon us? Is that what we need? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible tells us very simply, if you want the Holy Spirit, Luke chapter 11, verse 13. Jesus tells us, Luke chapter 11, verse 13, Jesus said, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him? That's it. Ask. Jesus said, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. 
It's there for the asking. The promise is given. God is not the one who's holding a blessing biscuit and saying, beg, beg, beg. Lord, please, 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 Lord, please, I need, I need, I need, I need. Jump through the hoop, jump through the hoop, jump through. That's not God. He's our Father. And he says, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will I not give the Spirit to those that ask? And so the price has been paid, the promise has been given, the procedure has been laid out, ask. How much more will he not give the Spirit to those that ask? And so how do we receive the Spirit? You ask. The Bible says this, if we ask anything according to his will, then we know that he hears us. Well, we know it's his will that we be filled with the Holy Spirit, don't we? He's told us. So if we ask God to fill us and empower us with his Holy Spirit, we know that we're praying according to his perfect will. Well, John tells us, if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. And if he hears us, we know that we have the things that we ask. And so we ask according to his will, and then we receive by faith. What am I going to feel? What's going to happen? Maybe nothing. I know for me, I felt nothing. But there was a difference in my life. Things began to happen. The scripture had a different, you know, energy to it when I read it and spoke it. There was a different effectiveness in the things that I did and the way that I was. There wasn't an emotional rush of something that happened, but there was a very supernaturally natural thing that began to take place, a dynamic within my life. And you know what's happened since that time? is that the wire's gotten thicker. What started as a little, you know, 12 wire that could just, you know, have a current or, or even a low voltage, you know, those teeny little phone wires, you know, what started there has grown. And as we grow in the Lord, our capacity and our ability to be witnesses of Christ in a greater and effective way, that grows as well as we yield to Him. See? And so we, we need to ask God constantly, fill me, empower me by your Spirit. The second thing that we need to do is that we need to turn the breaker on. The purpose of the Spirit is not to say we have it. The purpose of the Spirit is to do the things that the Holy Spirit wants to empower us to do. We have to be willing to love our wives like Christ loved the church willing to take the time that our kids need to raise them up in the fear of the Lord. Take the time to get on our knees and to disciplined prayer, you know, to pray with discipline and purpose and meaning and to ask God for the things that, that, that we need and to fellowship with Him. We need to open the Bible and spend time reading it. You know, I talk to people that say, God's not speaking to me, God's not speaking to me. Well, listen, if God's not speaking to you, open up your Bible and read it out loud. <laughs> He'll speak to you. You'll hear him. You know, because the word of God, you know, it's his word. But we have to do it. We have to turn the breaker on. And it's amazing. It's amazing how quickly the Lord responds when we give ourselves to him in that way. I, I'm always amazed. Because in my mind, I think, well, you know, I'm, God's just not going to, I just know today's going to be one of those dry days. But, but you know what? I got I to gotta do it. So I get on my knees, and it's like immediate. You begin to pray, and the Lord just meets you there, starts to fill you. Turn the breaker on. And then number three is do not resist 
what the Spirit wants to do in and through your life. Don't give resistance to the work of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 says this. It says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you've been sealed until the day of redemption. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He's a person. He's not a power. I know that's a good analogy to think of the electricity and how it works, but the Holy Spirit is not electricity. He's a person. He's the third person of the Godhead. He has a mind, a volition, a will, and he has a relationship with us. And he can be grieved, and we can grieve the Holy Spirit. It's resistance. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, it says, Do not quench the Holy Spirit of God. Don't purposely put a rubber stop in that line. Oh no, Lord, I don't want to do that. I don't want to obey in that. I don't want to in, embrace my circumstances that I'm in in my life. I don't want to do all things without complaining, without, without murmuring. I don't want to do that. And so we, what we do is we quench the Holy Spirit. He, he wants to give us the power to rise above those things, but we say no. We're quenching the work of God's Holy Spirit. I don't want to share the gospel with that person. I don't want to be a light today. I want, I want to hide today or something, you know. We quench the Holy Spirit. And then Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, the exhortation is given to us. Paul writes, and he says, Be ye filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Constantly allow God to flow through your life, the way that he so desires to empower you to do the things that he's called you to do. You say, well, how, how do I continually be filled with the Holy Spirit? John 15, Jesus said we, last week, abide in me, right? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll bear much fruit. And so to be continually filled is to be continually walking in fellowship with Jesus Christ. What's the result What's the result of this kind of life? You know what it is? You're alive. You cannot put your hand in a live electrical panel and not be affected. <laughs> if you put your hand on a living, alive panel, you are going to feel it. Something's going to happen. <laughs> if the panel's off, nothing happens. You can touch everything except for, you know, I wouldn't touch the, you know, the big ones on top. <laughs> Don't touch those. <laughs> but... But you can touch it, and nothing's going to happen. But turn it on, and, and it's going to affect you. And when the power of the Holy Spirit is moving through your life, accomplishing the things that God's called us to do, you're going to be alive. And everyone you come in contact with is going to know it. And you know what's going to happen? You will be a witness. You won't have to go witnessing. You don't have to look for the opportunity to open your mouth. It will be there, because people's lives will be affected by you, because you're alive. You're living. You have the power of God within you. And that's what he wants for us. And so part of God's work is what he does in our lives. The other part is what he does through our lives. The upon, the api. You will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you and you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. To experience the life of God and the power of God working through you and to be in fellowship with him constantly. It's his will for our lives. Amen? Amen. Questions, comments, thoughts? Tim.
Yes.